Chapter Fourteen, Part Two of Laddie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter Fourteen, Part Two: The Crest of Eastbrook. If ever I felt sorry for any one, I did then for Mister Pryor. He stood there gripping the whip with both hands, and he looked exactly if the May wind might break him into a thousand tiny pieces, and every one of them would be glass. Um. Er. He said at last, "You're right, of course. But unfortunately, Pamela and her mother did not agree with my motives, or my course in coming to this country. And while there is no outward demonstration, er. Um. Other than Mrs. Pryor's seclusion, yet. Er. Um. I am forced to the belief that I'm not in their confidence. I see," said Laddie. "And of course you love your daughter as any man would love so beautiful a child." And when she is all he has, I thought the break was coming right there, but Mister Pryor clenched his whip and put it off. Still, any one watching with half an eye could see that it was only put off, and not for long at that. It has been my idea, Mister Pryor, that the proper course for me was to see if I could earn any standing with your daughter. If I could, and she gave me permission, then I intended coming to you the instant I knew how she felt. But in such a case as this. I don't think I shall find the slightest hesitation in telling you anything you want to know that I am able. You don't know how you stand with her. Laddie took off his hat and ran his fingers through his hair. His feet were planted widely apart, and his face was sober enough for any funeral now. At last he spoke. I've been trying to figure that out, he said slowly. I believe the situation is as open to you as it is to me. She was a desperately lonely, homesick girl when she caught my eye and heart, and I placed myself on her horizon. In her case, the women were slow in offering friendship, because on account of Mrs. Pryor's seclusion, none was felt to be wanted. Then Miss Pryor was different in dress and manner. I found a way to let her see that I wanted to be friends, and she accepted my friendship, and at the same time allowed it to go only so far. On a few rare occasions, I've met her alone, and we've talked out various phases of life together. But most of our intercourse has taken place in your home and in your presence. You probably have seen her meet and entertain her friends frequently. I should think that you would be more nearly able to gauge my standing with her than I am. You haven't told her that you love her, haven't I? Though cried Laddie, man alive, what do you think I'm made of, putty? Told her, I've told her a thousand times. I've said it and sung it and whistled it and looked it and lived it. I've written it and ridden it, and this week I've plowed it. Your daughter knows, as she knows nothing else in all this world, that she has only to give me one glance, one word, one gesture of invitation, to find me before her six feet of the world's demoralized beefsteak a woman ever undertook to handle. Told her, ye gods, I should say I've told her. If any of Pryor's had been outdoors, they certainly could have heard Mister Pryor. How he laughed! He shook until he tottered. Laddie took his arm and led him to the fence. He lifted a broad top rail, pushed it between two others across a corner, and made a nice, comfortable seat for him. After a while, Mister Pryor wiped his eyes. Laddie stood watching him with a slow grin on his face. And she hasn't given the signal you are waiting for? He asked at last. Laddie slowly shook his head. "Nary the ghost of a signal," he said. "Now we come to Sunday before last. 
I only intimated, vaguely, that a hint of where I stood would be a comfort, and played Jonah. The whale swallowed me at a gulp, and for all my inches never batted an eye. You see, a few days before, I showed her a letter from my brother Jerry, because I thought it might interest her. There was something in it to which I had paid little or no attention, about my going to the city and beginning work in his law office. To cap that, evidently you had mentioned before her our prized piece of family tinware. There was a culmination like a thunderclap in a January sky. She said everything that was on her mind about a man of my size and ability doing the work I am, and then she said I must change my occupation before I came again. And for answer, you've split the echoes with some shrill, abominable air, and ploughed before her very eyes for a week. Then Laddie laughed. Do you know, he said, that's a good one on me. It never occurred to me that she would not be familiar with that air and understand its application. Do you mean to crush me further by telling me that all my perfectly lovely vocalizing and whistling was lost? It was a dem irritating, challenging sort of thing, said Mr. Pryor. I listened to it by the hour, myself, trying to make out exactly what it did mean. It seemed to combine defiance with pleading and through and over all ran a note of glee that was really quite charming. "'You have quoted a part of it, literally,' said Laddie. "'A note of glee, the cry of a glad heart, at peace with all the world, busy with congenial work.' "'I shouldn't have thought you'd have been so particularly joyful.' "'Oh, the joy was in the music,' said Laddie. "'That was a whistle to keep up my courage. "'The joy was in the song, not in me.' Last week was black enough for me to satisfy the most exacting pessimist. I wish you might have seen the figure you cut, that fine team, flower-bedecked, and the continuous concert. But I did, cried Laddie. We have mirrors. That song can't be beaten. I know this team is all right, and I'm not dwarfed or disfigured. That was the pageant of summer passing in review. It represented the tilling of the soil, the sowing of seed, garnering to come later. You buy corn and wheat, don't you? They are vastly necessary, much more so than the settling of quarrels that never should have taken place. Do you think your daughter found the spectacle at all moving? Damn you, sir. What I should do is to lay this whip across your shoulders, cried Mr. Pryor. But if you will believe it, he was laughing again. I prefer that you don't, said Laddie, or on Ranger either. See how he likes being gentled. Then he straightened and drew a deep breath. Mr. Pryor, he said, as man to man, I have got this to say to you, and you may use your own discretion about repeating it to your daughter. I can offer her six feet of as sound manhood as you can find on God's footstool. I never in my whole life have had enough impure blood in my body to make even one tiny eruption on my skin. I never have been ill a day in my life. I have never touched a woman save as I lifted and cared for my mother and hers, or my sisters. As to my family and education, she can judge for herself. I offer her the first and only love of my heart. She objects to farming, because she says it is dirty, offensive work. There are parts of it that are dirty. Thank God it only soils the body, and that can be washed. To delve and to dive into, and to study and to brood over the bigger half of the law business in any city, is to steep your brain in, and smirch your soul with, such dirt as I would die before I'd make an occupation of touching. Will you kindly tell her that, word for word, and that I asked you to? 
Mr. Pryor was standing before I saw him rise. He said those awful words again, but between them he cried, "'You're right. It's the truth. It's the eternal truth.' "'It is the truth,' said Laddie. "'I've only to visit the offices and examine the business of those of my family living by law, to know that it's the truth. Of course, there's another side. There are times when there are great opportunities to do good. I recognize that.' To some, these may seem to overbalance that to which I object. If they do, all right. I am merely deciding for myself. Once and for all, for me it is land. It is born in me to love it, to handle it easily, to get the best results from stock. I am going to take the Merryweather place, adjoining ours on the west, and yours on the south. I intend to lease it for ten years, with purchase privilege at the end, so that if I make of it what I plan, my work will not be lost to me. I had thought to fix up the place and begin farming. If Miss Pryor has any use whatever for me, and prefers stock, that is all right with me. I'll go into the same business she finds suitable for you. I can start in a small way and develop. I can't afford a maid for her from the beginning, but I couldn't clothe her as she has been accustomed to being dressed, for some time. I would do my best, however. I know what store my mother sets by being well-gowned. And as a husband, I can offer your daughter as loving consideration as woman ever received at the hands of man. Provided by some miracle I could win her consent, would you even consider me and such an arrangement? Frankly, sir, said Mr. Pryor, I have reached the place where I would be— Whenever you come to a long black line like that, it means that he just roared a lot of words father never said, and never will. Glad to— to tell the truth, the thing you choose to jestingly refer to as tinware, I hope later to convince of the indelicacy of such allusion, would place you in England on a social level above any we ever occupied, or could hope to. Your education equals ours. You are a physical specimen to be reckoned with, and I believe what you say of yourself. There's something so clean and manly about you, it amounts to confirmation." A woman should set her own valuation on that, and the height of it should correspond with her knowledge of the world. Thank you, said Laddie. You are more than kind, more than generous. As to the arrangements you could make for Pamela, said Mr. Pryor, she's all we have. Everything goes to her, ultimately. She has her stipulated allowance now. Whether in my house or yours, it would go with her. Surely you wouldn't be so callous as to object to our giving her anything that would please us. "'Why should I?' asked Laddie. "'That is only natural on your part. "'Your child is your child, no matter where or what it is. "'You expect to exercise a certain amount of loving care over it. "'My father and mother constantly send things to their children absent from home, "'and they take much pleasure in doing it. "'That is between you and your daughter, of course. "'I shouldn't think of interfering. "'But in the meantime, unless Miss Pryor has been converted "'to the beauties of plowing through my continuous performance of over a week,' I stand now exactly where I did before, so far as she is concerned. If you and Mrs. Pryor have no objection to me, if you feel that you could think of me, or find for me any least part of a son's place in your hearts, I believe I should know how to appreciate it, and how to go to work to make myself worthy of it. Mr. Pryor sat down so suddenly the rail almost broke. I thought the truth was that he had heart trouble himself. He stopped up choked on things, flopped around, and turned so white. I suppose he thought it was womanish, and a sign of weakness, and so he didn't tell. But I bet anything that he had it, bad. 
I'll try to make the little fool see, he said. Gently, gently, you won't help me in that mood, said Laddie. The chances are that Miss Pryor repeated what she heard from you long ago, and what she knows you think and feel, unless you've changed recently. That's the amount of it, cried Mr. Pryor. All my life I've had a lot of beastly notions in my head about rank and class, and here they don't amount to a damn. There's no place for them. Things are different. Your mother, a grand, good woman, opened my eyes to many things recently, and I get her viewpoint, clearly, and I agree with her, and with you, sir. I agree with you. I am more than glad, said Laddie. You certainly make a friend at court. Thank you very much. And you will come? The instant Miss Pryor gives me the slightest sign that I am wanted, and will be welcomed by her, I'll come like a Dakota blizzard. Floss can hump herself on time for once. But you won't come until she does. Man alive, I can't, cried Laddie. Your daughter said positively exactly what she meant. It was unexpected, and hit me so hard I didn't try to argue. I simply took her at her word, her very explicit word. Fool, cried Mr. Pryor. The last thing on earth any woman ever wants or expects is for a man to take her at her word. What? cried Laddie. She had what she said in her mind, of course, but what she wanted was to be argued out of it. She wanted to be convinced. I think not. She was entirely too convincing herself, said Laddie. It's my guess that she has thought matters over, and that her mind is made up. But I would take it as a mighty big favor if you would put that little piece of special pleading squarely up to her. Will you? Yes, said Mr. Pryor. I will. I'll keep cool and do my best. But I am so unfortunate in my temper. I could manage slaves better than women. This time I'll be calm and reason things out with her. Or I'll blow out my brains. Don't you dare, laughed Laddie. You and I are going to get much pleasure, comfort, and profit from this world, now that we have come to an understanding. Mr. Pryor arose and held out his hand. Laddie grasped it tight, and they stood there looking straight at each other, while a lark on the fence-post close by cried, Spring o' year, at them, over and over. But they never paid the least attention. You see, said Mr. Pryor, I've been thinking things over deeply, deeply, ever since talking with your mother. I've cut myself off from going back to England by sacrificing much of my property in hasty departure, if by any possibility I should ever want to return. And there is none, not the slightest. There's no danger of anyone crossing the sea and penetrating to this particular spot so far inland. We won't be molested. And lately, lately, despite the rawness and the newness, there is something about the land that takes hold after all. I should dislike leaving now. I found in watching some roots your mother gave me that I wanted them to grow, that I very much hoped they would develop and beautify our place with flowers, as yours is. I find myself watching them, watching them daily and oftener, and there seems to be a sort of home feeling creeping around my heart. I wish Pamela would listen to reason. I wish she would marry you soon. I wish there would be little children. Nothing else on earth would come so close to comforting my wife, and me also. Nothing. Go ahead, lad. Plow away. I'll put your special pleading up to the girl. He clasped Laddie's hand, mounted, and rode back to the gate he had entered when he came. Laddie sat on the rail, 
so I climbed down beside him. He put his arm around me. "'Do I feel any better?' he asked dubiously. "'Of course you do,' I said stoutly. "'You feel whole heaps and stacks and piles better. "'You haven't got him to fight any more, or Mrs. Pryor. "'It's now only to convince the princess about how it's all right to plough.' "'Small matter that,' said Laddie. "'And easy, just as simple and easy. "'Have you asked the fairies to help you?' "'Aye, aye, sir,' said Laddie. "'Also the winds, the flowers, the birds, and the bees. "'I have asked everything on earth to help me, except you, little sister. "'I wonder if I've been making a mistake there.' "'Are you mad at me, Laddie?' "'Cause for why?' "'About the old crest thing.' "'Forget it,' laughed Laddie. "'I have. "'And anyway, in the long run, I must be honest enough to admit that it may have helped.' It seems to have had its influence with Mr. Pryor. No doubt it worked the same on Mrs. Pryor. And it may be that it was because she had so much more to bank on than she ever expected, that the princess felt emboldened to make her demand. It may be. You can't tell. Anyway, it's very evident that it did no real harm. And forget my jesting, chicken. A man can't always cry because there are tears in his heart. I think quite as much of that crest as you do. In the sum of human events, it is a big thing. No one admires a crusader more than I. No one likes a good fight better. No crusader ever put up a stiffer battle than I have in the past week while working in these fields. Every inch of them is a battlefield. Every furrow a separate conflict. Gaze upon the scene of my Waterloo. When June covers it with green, it will wave over the resting place of my slain heart. Oh, laddie, I sobbed. There you go again. How can you? Whoopee, cried laddie. There's the question. How can I? Got to, little sister. There's no other way. No, I was forced to admit. There isn't. What are we going to do now? Lifesaver, we'll go now to dinner, said laddie. Nothing except the partnership implied in we sustains me now. You'll find a way to help me out, won't you, little sister? "'Of course I will,' I promised, without ever stopping a minute to think what kind of a job that was going to be. "'Did you ever wish with all your might that something would happen, and wait for it, expect it, and long for it, and nothing did? Until it grew so bad, it seems as if you had to go on another minute you couldn't bear it? Now I thought when Mr. Pryor talked to her, maybe she'd send for Laddie that very same night.' but send nothing. She didn't even ride on our road any more. Of course her father made a botch of it. But I could have told her Laddie's message straighter than he did. I could think it over, and see exactly how he'd do. He'd talk nicely about one minute, and the first word she said, that he didn't like, he'd be ranting and using unsuitable words. Just as like as not, he told her that he'd lay his whip across her shoulders, like he had Laddie. Anyone could see that as long as she was his daughter— she might be slightly handy with whips herself. At least she wouldn't be likely to stand still and tell him to go ahead and beat her. Sunday, Laddie went to Lucy's. He said he was having a family reunion on the installment plan. Of course we laughed, but none of us missed the long look he sent toward Pryor's as he mounted to start in the opposite direction. Everything went on. I didn't see how it could, but it did. It even got worse— for another letter came from Shelley that made matters concerning her no brighter. And while none of us talked about Laddie, 
all of us knew mighty well how we felt, and what was much worse, how he felt. Father and mother had quit worrying about God, especially father. He seemed to think that God and Laddie could be trusted to take care of the princess. And I don't know exactly what mother thought. No doubt she saw she couldn't help herself, and so she decided it was useless to struggle. The plowing on the west side was almost finished, and some of the seed was in. Laddie went straight ahead, flower-trimmed and whistling, until his face must have ached as badly as his heart. In spite of how hard he tried to laugh and keep going, all of us could see that he fairly had to stick up his head and stretch his neck like the blue goose to make the bites go down. And you couldn't help seeing the roundness and the color go from his face a little more every day. My, but being in love when you couldn't have the one you loved was the worst of all. I wore myself almost as thin as Laddie, hunting a fairy to ask if she'd help me to make the princess let Laddie go on and plow when he was so crazy about it. I prayed beside my bed every night, until the Lord must have grown so tired he quit listening to me. For I talked right up as impressively as I knew how, and it didn't do the least bit of good. I hadn't tried the one big prayer toward the east yet, but I was just about to the place where I intended to do it soon. End of chapter 14